And welcome to the Young Buck and Old Goat podcast. I'm the Old Goat Daniel, and filling in for the Young Buck Kazi is Sarp today. Hey, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Thanks for joining us here on the Young Buck and Old Goat podcast. We will highlight and discuss some of the most important developments in the world of digital assets and cryptocurrencies. And as always, this production is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing said here should ever be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you always do your own research. And please like and subscribe and rate us five stars. It helps us reach more people, and we would be eternally grateful. All right. Welcome, everyone, all of our listeners on various platforms. It has been a very long time since our last podcast. That is absolutely 100% the fault of the old goat. I've had lots of family health issues that we had to deal with. Um, Hopefully that is mostly behind us. Um, Anyway, so we're getting our feet back into the podcast. Um, We're going to cover some of the some of the things we talked about in Discord, but this week's episode is primarily going to be very political-based because Sarp, one of our original, our OGs in the Discord chat, is joining us and filling in for Kazi, and he, like myself, is uh, very interested in the political dynamics that, that kind of shape our economic world, our, the geopolitical events that affect the markets. Um, but before we get into all that, let's go over... Uh, this uh, last week's, uh, you know, snapshot of the crypto market, um, starting off with the Big Daddy BTC, uh, we had a large dip back in June um, where we kind of lost that $30,000 range and dropped down into the $20,000 range. We basically stayed there. Um, if you If you draw it out on the chart, you see we've had technically like a 30% change in value from, from the low to where kind of the local highs are, but it's still, everything's really consolidated around that $20,000 range. Um, and that could give, uh, I think it's a good reason to have optimism for BTC going forward because it does seem to be forming more of a floor than I thought it would. Uh, Sarp, what do you think about that? Well, Daniel, uh, I think it has been uh, three months since uh, Big Daddy Bitcoin has, and no one was expecting this movement. Uh, I believe we will see uh, 10 to 13K in the macro level, and it will be the bottom of this uh, beer market. Uh, The reason I believe in this is that is all the odd factors, uh, the Russian and Ukraine war, uh, the U.S. midterm elections, the tension between the U.S. and China. And this winter will be survival mode for many people because the living cost crisis in the Europe, U.K., U.S., like, and basically in the rest of the world, I think uh, there won't be any money flowing into the market because saving will be much higher due to instability within the market and people not knowing what the prices will be in the next months. So, yeah, I am mostly bearish until next year, May 2023. And, yeah, like, I don't know what you think, but... No, there's a great case for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a great case for that. Like, I was looking at... You know, I held 11,600 was, was what I was convinced the floor was going to be for a long time. And it, and it certainly, I think, will still have slingshots up and down. Um, it's going to be, I mean, certainly if you're in a situation where I've got to buy gas to heat my home or have a digital asset, you're going to buy gas to heat your home, right? Yeah. Um, I guess the thing I wonder about is how... <laughs> how much the retail sellers are actually going to affect the price this winter um, and how much the whales, including, you know, institutional whales have affected our, uh, have our, affected our floor. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and you know me, I, I don't get, uh, 
Uh, I'm, I'm not a maximalist to the point where I think it's going to be up only and, and anyone calling for anything going down is, is a heretic, right? Like I could definitely see that, uh, you know, that, that 10 to $15,000 range being a, a, a nice floor as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll be buying with both hands if, uh, if we start jumping into that box for sure. Um, well, if I have to be brutally honest, I think the retail investors will have almost zero influence on the market. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying is that, like I said, people won't have money to invest. And I think institutional uh, investors, such as like big companies, uh, Tesla, uh, Amazon, Google, like even the companies who hasn't declared that they invest in crypto, but we all know that they invest in them behind the scenes. I think they will have the power to do manipulation over the price of Bitcoin and make some good money on it. Yeah, there's also, and this is something we didn't talk about um, in in our in our pregame, but. Um, it's something that you, me and you need to perhaps look into more, um, and maybe we'll do a, a, a subsequent podcast about, is there's a theory that the price of Bitcoin is not um, necessarily what's propping up micro strategies, but it's actually the other way around, that micro strategies is what's propping up the price of Bitcoin, um, in so much that and and it's kind of hard to know because we don't know exactly how those loans are structured. Everyone likes to throw around the fact that Bitcoin has to drop to 3000 before there's a margin call on it for, for Michael Saylor's vast loans that he has out there. However, if those loans are backed by MicroStrategy stock, which is hardly a strong stock right now, if you look at their earnings reports, they just... they. They have almost no free cash flow. It is it has been bleeding out ever since the uh, the the highs of the market. Um, so, if if micro strategies as a company starts getting uh, a lot of um, a lot of shorting pressure, things of that nature, that could I think that could accelerate those. Uh, um, those margin calls on, on Bitcoin and could, uh, you know, could accelerate them to the point that we start seeing that dumping happen on the market. Um, and there's always Mt. Gox as well. So there's even even outside of the geopolitical world, there's things just really within the Bitcoin ecosystem, be it micro strategies and Mt. Gox, that could severely impact the price of Bitcoin that could, you know, who knows? We might be uh, we might be looking at something even lower than ten thousand if uh, that comes to fruition. But there's there's still you know be- between the geopolitical and those kind of uh, we'll call them crypto centric fundamentals. I think we definitely have um, a lot more room for for downward pressure. But I, I gotta say I'm I'm still very surprised we've been able to hold this twenty thousand level for as long as we have. Um, I, th- I thought for sure we were going to be dipping down well below this for a while. But um, anyway, um, on to ETH. Um, a bit more of a volatility in ETH over that same time period. Um, I, you know, I think 1250 is a reasonable price to expect us to touch again because it seems like every time we get near that uh, $2,000 level, it just it just drops right back down, right? Um, everyone hits 2000, they start taking profit. Um, with the change, you know, since last time we talked, you know, we did have the change going from proof of work to proof of stake. And there's been a lot of attention paid to the fact that Bitcoin is, or or, I'm sorry, Ethereum, is not nearly as decentralized as what people once believed. Um, you know, and, and certainly there's, there's no more, People sitting at home with, I mean, I'm looking right now at my um, my Ethereum rig that's been completely dark since the uh, since the changeover, right? So you don't have those people, you don't have lots of lots of small miners out there uh, securing the network. You've got a few stakers, and and I think it's something like I don't remember the exact total, but it's it's a ridiculous amount of 
um, a ridiculous percentage, like 85% or higher, that's controlled by like three or four wallets. Something, I mean, something insane, right? So, um, and it is starting to be looked at as, uh, and, and a, it's it's an American crypto by a lot of people are are are, are referring to it as that. Um, because I think that so much of the, the staking is, is taking place in America. And it seems as though if there are American regulations, such as um, uh, sanctions lists, things of that nature, that the Ethereum network will comply with those very quickly. Uh, as soon as, as soon as that starts happening, um, you know, it's, it's, we kind of lose the script in crypto a little bit, right? I mean, we're no, it's no longer a uh, monetary system to free the masses. It's now it, it quickly turns into a form of control for for governments, right? Um, definitely not what Satoshi was had hoped for. But uh, all right, so let's look at the news. Um, let's see, we had uh, talking about the uh, Federal Reserve. They are still on course with their 75 um, basis point hikes. Um, Jerome Powell has, uh, in his last speech, it was kind of interesting because he, you know, there was definitely some mixed messages there, right? It was, uh, we're going to continue to raise 75 basis points, and we're also going to look at um, decreasing that. Um, I, I think we're... Yeah, there's there's some competing theories out there. Um, there is, of course, the their forward facing dictate that they're going to do whatever it takes to curb inflation. Now, it doesn't take you know even a sophomore in an economics program to figure out that just raising rates is not going to curb inflation. Um, every, the world's economy runs on energy, right? And until energy prices come down, I don't think we're going to see inflation come down. Um, And I have yet to see any reason to think that energy prices are sustainably going to come down anytime soon. Um, You know, we, we, we went through a period. Yes, there was free money. There was zero interest rates, all that. But we also went through a period of very accessible energy and not everyone was, you know, worshiping at the altar of the Green New Deal, um, wanting to turn the world into a big solar, uh, you know, solar power field, which doesn't provide enough power to power factories and all the things that that make modern life possible. Right. I mean, and hey, look at my house right now, I've got 51 solar panels on my house. Right. So like. I'm, I am a fan of, of alternate en- alternative forms of energy. It is absolutely not enough to continue our economy. So with winter coming up, and I know, um, you know, I, you're, you're going to be much closer to this over in England uh, than I am down here in Florida. Um, but with winter coming up, man, it gets damn cold. And I know in Northeast America, there's people, you know, if, if energy, if uh, gas bills cost too much in the winter, you start seeing people dying when they can't heat their homes. Um, and so it's it's hard for me to believe that this, all these interest rate hikes are solely about inflation. What I believe they are about is inducing recession or what you'll hear every once in a while, they'll let it slip. They're looking for demand destruction. Demand destruction is a recession or a depression. And that's how I think they're going to, you know, quote unquote, fix some of the uh, the underlying problems within the market. Um, we've we've continued, you know, when you've got these high, high interest rates, that's, of course, going to make the dollar stronger. And if you look at the DYX, uh, the, the strength of the of, um, the U.S. dollar compared to other currencies, it's been just absolutely on a tear since June of 21. Um, there's a, what I'd like to do is look at DYX on either the monthly or the weekly chart and really zoom out or even quarterly, honestly, 
And you'll see this massive, massive wedge that's been forming that we broke out of in June of, um, well, June of 21, I think was the last time it touched the bottom of the wedge and then it broke out. Yeah, that was the last time it touched the bottom of the wedge and then it broke out in April of 22 and it just hasn't stopped. Now we've had uh, the past two months we've printed red candles, but it's likely going to reverse and maintain in the same channel that it's been in since December of 21. Um, and every time we see something happen in the world, any kind of geopolitical event, which they seem to be happening on a daily basis now, people run to the dollar for safety, not because the dollar is a great investment. It's just every other currency also sucks, right? So it's, it's the shiniest turd in the bowl is the best way to put it. Um, you know, so, so what, what are your thoughts on that as far as, uh, the, the rate hikes versus, you know, curbing inflation versus inducing recession? Well, Daniel, uh, I believe the XY, yeah, like you said, it has been very strong since June 2021. But can we say this upcoming midterm elections might affect the strength of the XY? So if we see a more divided Senate house, it might affect the value of the dollar because the whole foreign policies might change, the climate agreements uh position of the US with it might change. So like can we say we might see a little bit of downsize for the XY? I I don't think we'll see that's the problem though. As much as I'm a big fan of I want I want government so divided that it, it can't even agree on the time to show up to work, right? I want them to do nothing all the time. That's the best government. Um the the problem is, is the change in political atmosphere is likely going to result in more restrained spending. Okay. More restrained spending will likely lead to a stronger DXY, right? So, so I, I could easily see more, even more upside um, because we're not going to see the huge um, you know, these huge spending programs that the the political left and, and democratic majorities are more of a fan of, they're going to, they're not going to get through Congress and certainly not in these next two years. Um, so, so we would likely see a much tighter monetary policy, which will then lead to a stronger dollar. Um, so, Right now, DXY is showing strength because everything else is horrible. I can see DXY continuing to show strength because everything else is still going to be horrible and the U.S. will be taking measures to curb government spending. So it's it's actually, I, it, in some ways, just from market analysis, it could add a, a, a certain amount of, of fuel to the fire. Um, so... So, so you yeah. believe there will be hawkish policies coming in? More. Yeah, yeah, there'll be. It's far more governmental hawkish policies from the right wing than the left wing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, you know, that's that's so. We're moving into our next topic, right? The uh, and, and this is you know, <laughs> certainly probably the biggest topic that we could. I mean, we could just rename the podcast. You know, what matters in markets, and it's all about. Tuesday. It is exactly. all about the upcoming U.S. elections. Like it or not, it, it just it leads the way, right? Um, Trump is dominating the conversation here in the U.S. in a lot of ways. Um, he will very likely announce that he's running for president. I think I think the betting odds on it are November 14th or 15th, or something like that. Is, is when they're planning on when he's going to actually make the formal announcement. And there's there's legal reasons why he has to, you know, why he'd wait for uh, to make the formal announcements because then you fall, you know, your ability to raise money is then monitored by the Federal Election Commission, things of that nature. So so that's part of the reason why he's he's 
kind of uh, delayed, even though even though no one else has really announced that they're running. Um, and uh, I was I was watching on. Uh, he gave a speech last night up in uh, Pennsylvania, and he flies in on he, he calls it the Trump Force One, and it's his own private, you know, uh, Boeing seven fifty seven. It's this massive plane. There's nobody else is going to run against that, right? Like, I mean, it's he he still nearly commands the respect of the office of the presidency among his base, even not being president. Um, and any other Republican is not going to necessarily challenge him because they, st- you know, he has the ability to fill a stadium, right? And in the world of politics, that's a rare thing. And he, every town he goes to, he he jams out some airport field in the middle of nowhere with 50,000 people. I mean, we, you know, we saw Obama could fill a stadium. He, he definitely could when he was at the height of his... Uh, kind of, you know, political prestige, he can't do it anymore. Nobody wants to hear him now. Um, But Trump still can make people stop what they're doing and go literally wait out in the cold for 12 hours to hear him talk for an hour. Um, And it's, you know, I don't, I don't see anyone challenging him. So, so the more, if you want to know what the, the upcoming Congress is going to do, I would say look at what Trump wants to do and then maybe dial it back a little bit, right? Because there is, there's certainly quite a bit of, there, there's still some Republicans that do not like Trump, but there's going to be a lot of Republicans that are coming into Congress that owe their elections to Trump and owe their new status to Trump coming in and giving them a, uh, you know, a bump in the polls, right? And so, that's going to be very interesting. Um, the biggest, the the immediate thing that this could change is if we see the new, now the new Congress doesn't sit until January, right? So we have this lame duck session. Um, the lame duck session is the, the period in between the election and when the new Congress actually takes, you know, actually gets sworn in. Um, you you're going to see an orgy of spending because all the people that are going to lose their seats are going to basically vote themselves as much money as they possibly can to, you know, as they're on their way out the door, right? It's, it's, it should be criminal, but it's absolutely not. Um, And so once the new Congress is in, what kind of limits or clawbacks they're able to affect on the federal budget, is still a bit of a question mark. I think the biggest question mark is, you know, is Biden able to financially support um, the, you know, the U.S. proxy war with Russia, otherwise known as the Ukraine conflict? Are they able to still support that? Um, because largely the the MAGA the you know the trump base of the republican party has zero interest in it right um and part of the reason for that is it's that maga base it that's who was sending their sons over to iraq and Af- afghanistan for the past 20 plus years and they're tired of of being part of the war machine um they all are very pro-military, but they're by and large very anti-war. Um, and that's where actually Trump got a lot of support over here in the U.S. because of the fact that he he generally de-escalated wars. Um, and now Washington didn't like that, right? Like Washington, D.C. makes a lot of money off wars. Um, and, and all the businesses that are in and around Washington, D.C. makes a lot of money off of wars, um, which is part of the reason why Trump was not very popular up there, but among his base. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a larger kind of political theory question as far as, you know, how much, how much sway does the electorate actually have on the politicians that it elects into office? Um, generally I'm pretty bearish on that, right? Like, but 
you know, I, I, that spending and the, uh, you know, the, the support for Ukraine, I think will have a massive, massive, I think we could see the, that's one thing that could probably bring the DXY back into normalcy is if, if the U S you know, starts pulling that support away and Zelensky realizes, oh, well, you know, uh, maybe I should go to the uh, negotiation table, right? It, you know, if the U.S. if U.S. stops support for, for that conflict, we'd be negotiating peace very, very quickly. Um, and so it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if that happens. That's, you know, personally, that's what I hope happens, um, which I may get some hate for, but that's fine. Um, you know, it's, it, uh, like all things in politics certainly remains to be seen because there's also a lot of hawkish guys on the right, right? You've got Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, Mitt Romney, all these guys, they've never met a conflict or a war that they didn't want to ramp up and, and go full, full bore into. So, um, anyway, what are you hearing about it on, on, uh, your side of the, uh, pond? Well, I think the midterm elections will have a huge effect uh, here on the Europe side. Uh, well, if we assume the Republicans win the House but not the Senate, you know, American politics will be even more divided than now on a range of issues. So, for example, like for now, there's no evidence that this can change and partisan control will affect the U.S. military budget and its commitments to NATO or funding for Ukraine, which you talked about. Yet, if many of the Trump supporters get elected, that could change. So it's likely that the President Biden will continue to support Ukraine, but he may find it harder to find money or weapons. Uh, because, like you just talked about, there will be more hawkish policies and more Trump supporters might be in the Senate. So additionally, you know, a Republican House with many Trump supporters like may follow the former president's lead and be less supportive of the U.S. assistance to Europe, uh, Lithuania, uh, Ukraine, especially Ukraine. So it might be more difficult, you know, to get support for further actions from the Congress. And if the war escalates, there's no danger of U.S. pullout from NATO or cutting back on its support for Lithuanian or European security in the next two years. But there's still a chance that Trump might run and win again in 2024, which I believe he will definitely win against Biden this time. And yeah, were that to happen, then Europe will be back to where it was in 2019, you know, when the Trump was last president. So it may leave many of us to wonder if he and the US will there be to support their security needs. So Daniel, my question to you would be, do you think if Trump gets reelected again in 2024, do you think he will keep support Ukraine? Yeah, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, he, so Trump got impeached the second time because of a phone call to Zelensky. Um, and it was, a, it honestly, it was just a stupid impeachment. It was, you know, once they released even the transcript of the phone call, it was, he, all he, he asked Zelensky to look into, um, to, to look into, some of the corruption and bribery allegations that were being made over here. Um, and I mean, the fact of the matter is Ukraine is, and has for a very long time been a very corrupt country. Um, and so there's a lot of people that believe that that impeachment was a way to, um, to get Trump to lay off of Ukraine because there were certain powers in the U S that were, that had wanted what's happening in Ukraine to happen for a very long time. Um, and that's why, you know, Joe Biden's son was on the board of an energy company in Ukraine. Mitt Romney's son is on the board of an energy company in Ukraine. Very many high ranking officials find their way over to Ukraine after, after their, uh, you know, service to the U S government is done. So, there's definitely a revolving door, especially within the um, the intelligence sector, I would say. Um, and so I don't, you know, it, Trump also was trying to uh, get Germany 
to not only pony up more money for NATO, but to get off of uh, Russian uh, dependency on on oil for a long time when he was when he was president. So I kind of think Trump is going to treat it as more of an I told you so. And Trump is very I mean, he he really is quite anti-war. So he's going to do whatever he can to de-escalate the situation. Um, I, I don't think I would say I don't think Biden is uh, quite as dovish. But to be honest, I don't think Biden is necessarily in control of a damn thing at this point. So it's whoever is within the White House that is making those decisions, uh, you know, and, and a lot of these kind of faceless bureaucrats are we don't know what their uh, desires are, but they've certainly ramped, you know, they've certainly had no problem trying to ramp up and sell this war to the American public. Um, it's, it has not, uh, polled with very much support at all. That's for sure. But one thing I just thought of Sarp that might be kind of interesting. And you and I have talked about this is what is, you know, when it comes to Turkey's role in all this and we may, (laughs) there's a possibility that come Tuesday, the United States will elect its first Turkish citizen to the United States Senate. Right, Doctor Oz is a Turkish citizen. Um, he's going to be a, a dual citizen, which that's I think that's probably a first as well. This would also be the first Muslim ever um, elected to the U.S. Senate. But I think what matters more is is the relationship to Turkey. So, um, I and I, I personally don't know if Doctor Oz is close to Erdogan, um, but certainly, I think. Turkey could be a big winner uh, after Tuesday. I think Turkey could probably see um, a, a a a surprising rise in support if uh, if if that happens. Now, I don't think that all necessarily rests on Dr. Oz. I think Turkey has positioned itself um, very uh, for all the problems Turkey has. They've certainly positioned themselves well this past year, right? Turkey Turkey ha- matters on the international stage again and it, it it's probably more so than it has in the past decade or two so i just wanted to get your thoughts on that well i can easily say this dr oz is closer to trump than he is to erdogan because um back in when trump was in the presidency he had so much influence over erdogan and on turkey uh i don't know if you remember but there was this um a religion, religious guy who was uh, in prison in Turkey and Trump just sent a letter saying, oh, you should just uh, send him back to the U.S. or we will issue some economical embargoes over you. And Erdogan just sent him back to the U.S. Because no, was, okay, yeah, no, that didn't, that didn't get much play over here at all, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because uh, economically, U.S. has the power over Turkey and you know, Turkey has no cards to play when it comes to uh money because the strength of uh turkish lira is all-time low uh the inflation is uh the official number is i think 95 percent but the real number is over 200 percent and yeah um back in trump's presidency he always had the power and if he gets re-elected i think it will be the same and uh u.s will have more influence over turkey uh, but on the other hand, like you said, Turkey has some uh, roles at the moment when it comes to especially Russia and Ukraine deal, which is the grain issue. The supply of grain has went down drastically when the war started. And, you know, the prices of uh, many, many food products went up. So and this week. Russia said, you know, it will rejoin a deal to allow Ukraine to export its grain, which Erdogan stepped in to get it back together. So a few days earlier, Moscow said it would quit the deal because its naval fleet in the Black Sea were threatened by Ukraine. And yeah, Erdogan helped Moscow get back on board. But on the ground, nothing really changed. But, you know, Erdogan called Putin and apparently made it clear that Turkey had all the leverage, uh, which was a very bold move. 
so the grain deal never actually stopped because the ships kept on going anyway. And, you know, Russia was sort of worried that Turkey will join the Western sanctions, which I believe they would never do that because Russia is closer to uh, Turkey more than U.S. is. So, yeah, uh, the thing is they sell drones to Ukraine. So it's so complicated where Turkey is standing when it comes to Russia and Ukraine crisis because at the same time they are very close with Russia, like Erdogan and Putin, but at the same time they sell drones and military uh, weapons to the Ukraine. So, mm, I mean, I would say... Yeah. Yeah, when I was kind of looking at when I was thinking about this the other day and and possibly even you know playing out these kind of strange case scenarios in my head. Um, you know, Turkey is a is a a, a member of NATO for honestly no good reason. Um, I remember 20 sh- shoot, man, 22 years or 21 years ago. I was doing um, VBSS operations in the Gulf. That's Visitation Board Search and Seizure uh, when I was in the Navy. And we were looking for oil that was being smuggled out of Iraq onto ships. Um, and and we're t- it was technically a NATO operation. But I remember when I found out that like 95% of the oil was be- actually being smuggled over a pipeline that went, through, that went through Turkey out of Iraq into Iran. I was like... What the hell are we doing wasting all this energy going for 5% of the possible oil that's being smuggled out, right? Like it just didn't make any sense to me. So so NATO's so Turkey's NATO membership has always been weird to me, to you know, for lack of a better word. Um and so as I was thinking, I was like, well, this may be, you know, the, there are shakeups that happen, you know, you call them black swans or whatever. But, you know, this this Ukraine situation could be the the start of, you know, um, the breakup of NATO with the very strong possibility of, of a rebirth of of something more ideologically aligned. Right. So where it is, you know, where all the, the member states really are kind of allied with you know, whether it's uh, British intelligence or, or the U.S., you know, deep state, whatever you want to call it, bureaucratic state. Um, and those those other countries, such as Turkey, I see Turkey having a lot more benefits to um, something like, what, what is it, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization? I believe they've been attending those meetings lately. Um, and there has been talks that they might join it. I I mean, it would make sense, right? Like if you're Erdogan, I I would <laughs> I would look at that as as a, a very viable possibility. What benefits are they necessarily getting from NATO, or what benefits would they get from the SCO? Right. So I think um, you know Turkey's continued membership in NATO is one of, in my mind, kind of one of the key markers I have set up for, you know, whether or not shit is really going to hit the fan, Um, you know, whether or not the world really starts descending down a road towards World War Three or not. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's a scary proposition, right? I mean, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But that's definitely one of the uh, one of the markers that I'm kind of, I kind of always keep in the back of my head. But but anyway, okay, on to one of my last stories. Um, now, now that we've uh, talked about enough depressing stuff, the the Elonification of Twitter. Elon oh, Musk Elon now Musk. owns Twitter since last time we talked. Um, I mean, it's kind of been fun on Twitter the past you know week or so. You're starting. I'm starting. I'm personally starting to see stories that. Uh, you know, from alternative media sources that uh, would be previously either downplayed. Uh, I did see a, a story come out that apparently there's uh, there were Twitter employees selling verification badges for fifteen grand a pop. 
Um, yeah, I've I've personally never uh, cared that much about a, a verification badge. I'm also not a B, C, D, or E list celebrity, right? Like, um, whether I have a verification badge or not, nobody's going to give a damn. Um, but apparently, you know, I can see how it would make sense to like an up and coming influencer if they, you know, they it probably lends a certain amount of validity to them. Um, I have seen in the past, say, three months where they look like you may have seen this as well, where you get these people that are obviously selling scam NFT projects. I mean, it's blatantly a, a scam NFT project. But it's coming from a verified account, right? Um, and so now if you look at it from the economics, like, yeah, if I make that $15,000 investment, get the badge, and if I'm running a scam, I could see being able to pull more than fifteen grand in off of a scan NFT project, right? Like, it's horrible, but I could definitely see that happening. So hopefully Elon getting there will help put an end to a lot of those bots. Um and if there's anyone out there that doesn't think Twitter has a bot problem, uh, by all means, go post a uh, go make a post about having problems with your MetaMask wallet or something of that nature, and you will see the the full force and fury of a, a bot army uh, informing you that they can help you with uh, any problems with MetaMask. And there's there's a few other key things you can type in that that really draws all the bots out. Um, Certainly, the the liberal left is still quite mad that Elon owns Twitter. Uh, they think it's unfair. They think it's going to become a hate speech platform. Um, I, there was one report that came out that said that instances of hate speech had gone up like 300% or something like that. Maybe 3,000%. I don't remember. Um, but then the like the very next day, like the, the head of uh, the... Twitter team that, that monitors that said, yeah, there was a spike after the purchase and it all came from the same, like, like 10 or 15 accounts. Right. So yeah, the same, you know, it's basically bot accounts that were then, um, retasked with sending out hate speech stuff to try to make Elon look bad. So, so there's, I think there's a lot from a technical standpoint, there's a lot of things going on, but, uh, you know, certainly, the ability to find out um, find out information from more sources is a good thing. Um, there is going to be garbage stories, just like kind of Facebook back in the day. There was a lot of garbage stories. But over here in the U.S., um, you know, from my perspective, and, and somebody, you know, I am somebody who's been all over the world. I was always amazed at just how little information makes it to our shores as far as conflicts happening in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hear the big stories, right? We hear the big story of like, say COVID-19 in, um, in China, but there's a lot of things going on in the world every single day. I can't tell you the last time that we had any stories out of like, say Africa, right? That actually held the media's attention for more than five seconds over here. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my hope is that we'll be able to get some more of this, some more international news over here in the U.S. because our news is so, so tightly controlled and curated that we're, we're only given news sources that seem to promote a specific political agenda one way or the other. But within that fight of competing agendas, there's still a, a, a huge amount of news stories that we just never have exposure to, right? And that's, I mean, that's truly a shame. And it's, a, you know, it definitely helps uh, reinforce that stereotype of Americans not having any idea what's happening in the rest of the world, because it's largely true. We, you know, unless you, unless you have the time and wherewithal to search out that news, you're you're not. You're certainly not presented with it on any kind of a, of a consistent basis over here. So that's like really a, that's one of the big things I'm hoping uh, changes. I think Elon has definitely a, a much um, more worldly view 
and, and seeing the whole, you know, the events of the you know, whole world affect America and not just what happens on its own shores. So, um, I don't know. Did you, have you, have you noticed much of a change since, uh, the great Musk took the reins at Twitter? Well, <clears throat> the biggest change I've seen and witnessed is the liberal left and the uh, celebrities who are considered as liberals. They have been very mad about Alan taking over Twitter. And what I realized is that government is putting down money to celebrities to talk about Elon Musk and bring his reputation down. I don't know if you realize it, but many celebrities, like, you know, such as Kate Blanket, I don't know if you heard of, about her before. You know, a couple of days ago, she said, Alan taking down Twitter is dangerous. And it's like, if Elon Musk doesn't set proper rules that can ban hate speech easily, then his takeover is definitely dangerous. You know, like all the liberals, like the left liberals are outraged that extreme right personalities, you know, such as Donald Trump, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, like if they return for their permanent bans and if they are granted they return and keep using the platform, they think they incite chaos and violence against the other political spectrum, then they just think that they shouldn't be allowed back on Twitter in the first place. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, sorry, but I think in a lot of ways it really exposes how, whether, I mean, we'll say the le- the left in the, in this instance, but it's, it's probably true in some instances on the right as well, but it's it's more prevalent on the left, how little they actually think of the common person, right? That, if I read a tweet from a person, I'm automatically going to sign up for whatever ideology they're pushing, right? It's they the the elite tend to deny the common person any sense of critical thinking or agency on their own, right? Like you can't let that person on there because then they'll everyone will start thinking like that. Well, no, that's not actually how human brains work, but I I just think they don't have any respect for I don't think they have any respect for the uh we'll say the unverified class, right? Um and now they're all sorts of pissed that their their holy status symbol that you know that that they put so much of their own identity into may now be available for $8 a month. They really don't like that at all. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> like, it really just cracks me up. It's it's like, yeah, you're just because you're a celebrity, you're technically really not that special. I mean, congrats, but you can just as easily be, uh, you know, you know, a, a plumber or whatever and get verified. And I, I really hope that happens because they just need to have their egos stripped down some because they, they really I mean, it's. I often tell people, I don't really think our political issues are left versus right nearly as much as they are up versus down. I think it's an elite ruling class, and I, this expands well beyond our country's borders over here in the U.S., but I think there's an elite ruling class that, by and large, has no respect for anyone that would be seen as middle class or, or below, right? Um and yeah, so if Elon can help bring low the uh, the arrogant class, and then screw it, man, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know what? Why, what might be interesting actually if Alan brings Trump back to Twitter just right before the elections, it might actually yeah, uh, yeah it might actually influence the elections. It's, I mean, it's possible. The, so there's also other, I mean, there's a lot of variables, right? And that's why I think it's lost in, in some of the discussions about Elon and what he's doing is, well, Elon, he's not just Tesla, right? He's also SpaceX, which means he's also got a lot of contracts with Department of Defense. He's also um, Starlink, right? 
which means he has a lot of contracts, probably with the NSA, right? Because they do signals intelligence gathering. Um, So there's going to be a certain amount that Elon does not want to bite the hands that's that's feeding him. Um, So, I, you know, all these are, I I don't think anyone can actually know what Elon's going to do. Um, I could see him just delaying until after the midterms because it doesn't, you know, I mean, he certainly doesn't have, there's certainly no, uh, there's no benefit to Elon to let Trump on in the next couple days. Right. Um, you know, he could just, he could wait until after Tuesday. Now during the lame duck session, I think Elon's going to do like, uh, you know, all the people in power and they're going to kind of take a pulse of, all right, here's where the country's at. Here's the general mood of the country. And I think when you start seeing the exit polls of what people are actually, you know, the issues are actually voting on, I think that's going to, in some ways, you know, maybe not directly inform what Elon's next steps are going to be, but it's going to, it's going to send a message to our betters, right? I think if people start complaining, if you start seeing more and more complaints about things like, uh, ESG scores and, you know, the, the woke, uh, the woke mob and how that affects businesses. You've already, you're already seeing it some in, you know, in Disney, right? Disney went a little bit too far left and they got smacked down. They got smacked down one by governor DeSantis here in Florida, but also you start seeing it in a, um, viewership of some of their shows, right? People just aren't tuning into their shows because they don't want to get browbeaten with a, uh, with a particular ideology and, and, you know, whether they are being browbeaten or not, that can be debated, but, but a large enough part of the population feels that way. So that feeling then becomes a, you know, a, a, a marker as for how that corporation is going to react in the future. And, uh, in Disney specifically, um, They've already been, you know, there's already reports that the CEO of Disney has been lighting up the phone lines for the past week, talking to Republican leaders on Capitol Hill because he wants to make sure that, hey, you know, I I know we uh, we haven't really been uh, on your side lately, but uh, we want to uh, want to make sure there's no hard feelings. Right. So so you could start seeing the businesses, a lot of businesses crawling back from that kind of extreme leftist ideology. Um and so that'll be kind of interesting as well, because the reason why, you know, Elon would be at kind of the mercy, I would say, a bit of the executive branch um, because of the businesses he has. But a lot of a lot of businesses are far more worried about who controls Congress than they are about who controls the executive branch. The reason being is because Congress is who can make your life absolute nightmare with investigations, right? That's one thing that Congress has a has a kind of monopoly over is this ability to investigate and 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 hold congressional hearings and and if they know that something is going to rile up the American public, they can hold these congressional testimonies and primetime television. So there's there's a lot of a lot of variables going on right now, right? Um and and we'll see I think in in that uh, that November December time frame will be very interesting, um, and how that you know how that affects uh, uh, Twitter remains to be seen. Um, ultimately, how it affects crypto remains to be seen as well. You've got some you've got some great uh, proponents for crypto on the Republican side of the aisle um, that may push back against uh, what the SEC is trying to do. So. It's, it's really like, you know, we keep coming back. Every story we talk about, we kind of come back to Tuesday's election. And it's it really is going to be the it's the dominant force in the world right now is whatever happens on Tuesday. So. So anyway, man, that's about all the stories I've got. Um, we're creeping up on an hour. Uh, but let's let's see. We've already talked about um, Russia agreeing to rejoin Ukraine. Um, what else you want to cover, sir? Well, that's much about it from my end. Yeah, we got. 
Oh, we've had a, a new prime minister um, since last time we talked. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, <clears throat> uh, after a long time of instability within the markets and the UK politics, uh, I think he will stay uh, on the seat for long term. And I think it's a good sign for the markets because... Uh, some sources say that he is more well, like he's wealthier than the royal family, and he has like super good connections within the financial world. And I think, uh, for the medium term, I see United Kingdom going into a yeah, like bullish momentum. Yeah, he's definitely a friend of the of, of big finance. There's no doubt about that, right? Like uh, he's Goldman Sachs alumni. Um, yeah. You know, it's a uh, it's it's a lot of it still. You know, they are. Uh, there's a point you brought up before we uh, started recording about the mortgage rates in England. Um, that could that could certainly cause a lot of political instability if people start defaulting on their mortgages, right? Like we, uh, the last we'll say comparable time was two thousand eight, two thousand nine during the global financial crisis. Um, was slightly different, right? Like mortgage rates, um, you know, it was really it was the defaults started catching up and affecting. Uh, the mortgage markets because of the, you know, the, 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 the mortgage backed securities was, and there was a lot of other factors, but that's kind of been one of the, the larger variables that happened. Um, we don't have as many of those variable mortgages over here in the U S since the mortgage crisis back then. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's still, those, those, the mortgages tied to the interest rates are still, um, you know, are still pro- more popular in England. Um, so that's, I mean, that's something that definitely could, could wreak, you know, a lot of havoc on the, the English market, but also that's where you can start seeing political change being ushered in, right? Um, and, and I'm, I'm not a, uh, an expert on, on British politics by any means. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see a, uh, a, a return of the, the Brexiteers, um, kind of wing of, uh, of British politics. I, you know, my guess is that you start seeing, uh, more of a, a leftist, uh, movement would rise up during those kind of times right during during those severe economic instabilities yeah you definitely get more of a populist feel um i think we're seeing the start of that in the u.s i don't know how that's necessarily going to present itself in england though um because when man when people start losing their homes it's you lose a lot of your uh your philosophical principles when you're homeless you know what i'm saying yeah uh, like since you mentioned about mortgages, uh, like I can get into that a little bit before we uh, move on. You know, uh, the one of the reasons you know why it can't necessarily slam on the brakes as hard as as the Fed, like the mm, Bank of England, is because here in the UK there are so many mortgages options. Like it's totally different than what you have in the US. So many households that have got those. You know, like relatively short-term mortgages and that we have in this country that every time a household has to renew it here, it says a new interest rate. So for Bank of England to change the rates as hard as Fed, uh, they're not able to do that because of this. And 2 million mortgages are going to get rolled over like that by the end of 2023. You know, now, like, just it's going to so be a real pain understand. on household finances and mid-term costs. Yeah, just so I can understand what um, so it's so it's common over there that your mortgage gets rolled over and you you get a new interest rate, huh? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So over here, predominantly the most the most common mortgage is a a thirty year fixed rate. So 
whatever your whatever your mortgage rate was when you signed that, that's what it's going to be for the duration. Yeah. Um, and so, like right now, we're we're at about I think seven percent, something of that nature. Um, when I got my house, I got in at uh, two and a quarter, or, or actually no, I think it was like three point five. But then rates dropped, and so then you can refinance. But and that's going through refinancing your mortgage is a pretty is a voluntary process, but it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty extensive process, right? I mean, it's 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 basically reclosing on the house, um, and so it's a very uh, very very involved process, even to to lower your interest rate. But yeah, I had no idea that it was just a that it was the norm in England that that your that every couple of years your your mortgage would rebalance itself. I guess in a sense, yeah, exactly. You really end up loaning a, owing a crap ton of money then. That's, yeah, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> you guys got to get on those 30-year fixed, man. It's, it's, it's It gives a nice sense of uh, security. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, and we still, you know, so I'll still have variations in my in my monthly payment, right? But those variations are only from, say, the tax bill that gets rolled into that mortgage, something of that nature. So it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a huge... You'd be very, you know, you probably aren't going to see more than a, a uh, maybe a five percent increase or something like that in 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 what you're expected to pay per month. So, um, yeah. Um, the only other thing I I kind of wanted to touch on, Sarp, I wanted to touch on CBDCs, but I think since we're over an hour, let's let's do that next week. Um, I don't think there, you know. Hopefully nothing happens in the world of CBDCs within the next week uh, that we miss. But, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll kind of focus more on that next week. Um, and then we can actually kind of maybe give a little bit more of a, a you know, history on it, development on it, who the big players are, um, and, and what the competing interests of the World Economic Forum, um, the Federal Reserve, and ultimately what the new Congress has to say about it, because I don't think we know for sure what Republican leadership thinks of CBDCs. Um, I think by and large, CBDCs, have they face an uphill battle, mainly probably because of uh, Jamie Dimon over here more than anyone. Um, because the large institutional banks do not want to see commercial banking die on the vine. Um, and I think CBDCs are a great way to annihilate commercial banking. Right. Um, and not that, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't love bankers by any stretch of the imagination. I think, uh, you know, they, they've caused more problems in this this uh this human endeavor than any other group of people however if they can stand in the way of cbdcs i'm i'll definitely side with them right um and so yeah let's plan on uh we'll talk about that next week and uh i think that pretty much wraps up the news um you know the week ahead U.S. elections, Tuesday. It's going to dominate everything. Yeah, going to be an um, interesting week ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, really, the Federal Reserve, they're releasing their consumer credit report on Monday, but I don't think that's going to really be that earth-shattering. Yeah. Um, it's going to tell us, yeah, credit's getting more All expensive. All that potential will be on Tuesday. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know, credit's getting more expensive, consumers getting poorer, more people are going into debt. This is... You know, we we could write the press release now for it if we needed to. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all right, let's wrap it up. Um, thank you all for joining us on the Young Buck and Old Goat podcast. Again, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating so we can reach more people out there. Um, Sarp, thank you for filling in this week. It's uh, Kazi um, said he had too much to do. Uh we don't know if we necessarily believe him. I think he just, I think he probably found cooler friends to hang out with. Probably. Um, 
you know, he's he's probably going to go go launch a uh, a new coin or something. Um, but anyway, sir, please take it away, my friend. Well, thank you, Danny, for uh, having me this week. And yeah, uh, you can follow me throughout the week at uh, Twitter. Uh, my handle is sc uh, scryptolord, and that's with two Ds. And yeah, again, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yep, and I'm on Twitter at Old Goat Crypto. Uh, very unverified, extremely unverified. Um, and uh, if you get a chance, please make your way to patreon.com slash cryptokazi. And uh, there you can find that information where you can join our Discord. It is a very a highly active community. Let me open it up real quick, and I'll tell you just how many people, unless you know, Sarp, how many people. Are uh, we are over 1,100 people. 1100 my god that is fantastic yeah it's a great it's a great community and um you know sarp and i happen to be the ones that are probably more fixated on the geopolitical events but they are um honestly we could probably do multiple podcasts just from this one discord group uh because you've got some people in there that are just experts when it comes to charting and market analysis um you know playing the perpetuals uh some people you know focus in on on just the you know blue chip uh, you know we got some people that are more focused on low cap um so yeah i'd say definitely if you get a chance uh make your way over there to like i said patreon.com slash And again, everyone, thank you. And we'll see you next week on the Young Buck and Old Goat podcast. We may have to change the name, though, if we're going to have Sarp here. So uh, if you have any suggestions, um, you know, hit us up on Twitter what you think the uh, new name should be. Maybe we'll just call it the Crypto Goat podcast or something. Yeah, Crypto Goat podcast sounds good. All right. All right. Bye, everyone. Uh, Bye, everyone.